Okay. I think our message today is titled Putting Sin to Death. But I think that's the title I gave you. That's all right. That was my bad. Putting sin to death. Putting death. Putting sin to death. Yeah. Killing sin. Yeah. You guys want to do that? You want to kill your sin? <laughs> Got to identify it first. Oh, Richard's the first one up, man. He says, I, I, I want to do that. Yes, sir. <laughs> I do too, brother. Believe me, I do too. I'm, I'm standing right there right next to you. And we want to put that sin to death. You know, and this is kind of where we're at right now with uh, Paul. He's talking to us about beliefs. These are your beliefs. These are your beliefs. Here's what you ought to believe. Here's how you need to believe. This is what has to be done. Uh, this is the doctrine that I'm teaching you, the, the truth of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what he's done. This is now, he says, let's put, him, let's put all this to practice. Yesterday, last, yesterday, last Sunday, we went over one method or one way of putting our beliefs in the practice. We talked about worry. Remember that? We talked about worry. We said, you know, uh, one of the biggest sins that we commit over and over again is worry. Now, Paul is going to go over a few other sins that, uh, and he's talking to the church. Remember that. So he's talking to us as the church, as he has to all the other churches, as he's always pointed out. And as I've said before, when Paul is bringing out an issue or something that we ought to put into practice, this is something that more than likely was happening within the church. And, and so we, we're going to see a little bit of what Paul is talking about because, you know, somebody, somebody once said, and, and they, they said, okay, how would you respond to this? What do you think Paul would say today if he had to write a letter to the church in America, like to the church in Colossus, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Thessalonica, to the church in Corinth, he would write, I, Paul, how do you think Paul would start? What do you think he would say? And somebody eloquently said to the church in America, I don't even know where to begin. There's so much depravity, so much sin. I don't even know what to tell you. It's just beyond measure. If anything, if the indicators of our society and of our culture are anything of who, where we are and what the church has not been able to accomplish, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge indicator. Last week, maybe some of you guys have seen it or maybe some of you guys heard about the performance that was done at, at the Grammy. It was, it was one of those performances that was basically, even before they stated it, before they even came out on stage, somebody got up and says, okay, let's get ready to worship. And the singers were dressed in demonic garb and given out all kinds of demonic signs. And, and the song that they sang was Unholy. And it was a number one pop duo uh, hit. They won the Grammys. And, uh, and, and everybody was very applauding of such uh, an act. You know, there was a time that you had to play your records backwards. <laughs> To try to get the message, you know, it was called backmasting, I think it was called. And you'd have to look at things backwards to see the pictures. And, you know, now it's in your face. It's in your face and it's and there's nothing that you can do about it, basically, is what they're saying. Today, during the Super Bowl, I, I truly believe that the halftime show is going to be another one of those episodes where they're going to have a huge time of worship. It's been like that for the last few Super Bowls, where the idols, where the people are the ones that are getting all the glamour, all the attention, and they're sending the attention to Satan himself. 
And we live in a culture now that sin is so prevalent. It's everywhere. It's in your face. And it's at a point now where it causes you to just say, eh, well, whatever, you know, that's just what it is. We've gotten apathetic to it. We don't even care anymore. And it just seems like we should care even more so. And so Paul, Paul comes to us in a very straightforward manner, as he has all the time. He starts off with doctrine, and then he comes to the point, he says, number one, verse five of chapter three, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. No, he's not just saying, think about as if those things are dead, but he says, put to death what is earthly in you. Let me, let me go back and, uh, and just kind of recap what we talked about last week because we kind of missed a little bit of, of, of the message last week. As I mentioned, I took a detour on it. But uh, in chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If you then, if you then, if you then have been raised with Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, if you say you're a believer, if you've been regenerated, if you are born again, and this is who you say you are, then he says, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and you, your life is hidden with Christ in the world. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You have died, you have been hidden in Christ. And because you're hidden in Christ, the world can't see what it is that you see. There's this veil. Their eyes have been veiled. Their hearts have been hardened. They're they're not listening. They're not seeing. As a matter of fact, they think you're delusional. They think that you're a conspiracy theorist. They think that you're you're gone. You've gone nuts. Uh, they, you know they think all these things about what it is that they think about Christians, tinfoil hats and whatnot. And because you've been veiled in Christ and you've been covered in Christ and you've died in Christ and your life is no longer that part of the world and you don't agree with what is going on out there and you still love them but you don't agree with that, then Paul says, you know, you're dead. You should be dead and put to death those things because everybody else thinks that you've died already anyways. They don't want anything to do with you already. So you might as well just, just put it to death. Put it out of your sight. Put it to, put it out of its misery. Don't let it bother you anymore. And, and we got to stop saying, well, you know, it's just the way I am. Well, you know, it's just what happens. Well, you know, I'm just a work in progress. Well, you know, well, you know, well, you know. No. The Greek term for that is baloney. And that's basically what Paul says. You know, you've died. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. The problem is that we want to be seen now. We want, we want to be seen in the world and make that impact. And Paul is saying, when, when Christ returns, when He returns, he's, you're going to be raptured, you're going to be taken up. Seven years, tribulation, you're going to come back with Him, and He's going to be riding a white horse, and there is a name on His thigh, and which is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and and you will be coming with Him, and then the world will see you for who you really are. But until then, we are here, and because we are here, we're in this world, but not we're not we're in the world, but not of the world. We have, and that's that's the whole purpose of this. We're not of the world. We're in this world. And therefore, we can't let it just attach us, attach itself to us. Paul says, you have died, but when Christ returns, you will be seen. 
And the next few verses up to verse, uh, well, it's really the whole, all the way up to verse 17. And that's what I'm going to read right now, then go back and, and uh, touch on verses 5 through 9. He says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave, free, but all, but Christ is in all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, so, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, Father in heaven. I pray that we can walk away from here, leaving our old garments behind, taking off the old and putting on the new garment, putting on you, putting on Christ. For we are dead to this world. We are. We're not part of this world. And Lord, we are travelers going through this wicked and perverse generation. And I pray, Father, that you help us to be able to walk that walk that you've called us to walk. As we go through this portion of Scripture, the things that Paul focuses on and, and deals with were things that the church was dealing with at that time. And this is just a small list of the many perversions and sins and, and so many of the different things that the church has had to experience and gone through. But Father, right here we have a sample of what sin has done to us and why we should put it to death, I pray. Lead us this morning in all things, in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Paul says. Living out your beliefs involves putting sin to death. And Paul just said that. He's, you know, it's, he's already said, you know, you're done. You're already in Christ. If you're already in Christ, well, then that's, that should be it. But at the moment of salvation, we have already crucified ourselves. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter six, verse six, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're not a slave to sin. Sin has been taken care of. And because Christ is, because you are crucified and Christ is crucified in Him and you're crucified in Him, it's done with. And the, the positional reality must be worked out in everyone's life. Each one of us. And, and there's no holiness or maturity in life when sin is unchecked. 
Sin has to be checked on a regular basis. Paul said this to the people in Rome in Romans 8.13, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And it's, I, I, it's un, I can't understand it as to why there are a lot of people that call themselves Christians, yet live according to the flesh. And, and sin is like a, a king that has been deposed and, and gotten rid of. Sin is like that, that one uh, ruler in your life, the one king of the hill that just wants to get back up on top of the hill. And, and, and it'll do everything to convince you and to connive you and to, to try to, you know, you know, intimidate you. And even to some extent, even motivate you. There are a lot, there are a lot of things that happen in our life. And that, that, that seem to want to bring sin back into our world, into our, into our heart. And we've got to be like Zacharias says, not by might nor by power, but by spirit, says the Lord, and overcome. We need to take on the helmet of salvation. We need to put on the helmet of salvation and the word, and the sword, which is the spirit, which is the word of God. And by that, we are able to stand and with, be able to deal with any type of sin that's going on in our world. As a matter of fact, John says, uh, in, t- in 1 John uh, 2.14, he says this, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Satan has no power over you. He only has the power that you give him. As a matter of fact, a little bit later in 1 John 4.4, John John says this, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Say that with me. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now personalize it. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? You got to memorize that one. First John 4, 4. And you got to remember that, that he who is in you, how much power do you give Satan? How much power does he have? Are you saying that he can overthrow God in your life? Oh, I just slipped. Oh, I messed up. Oh, I can't believe that happened. You know, I'm just, you know, God, you know, it's, it's the devil's fault. We blame the devil as if God wasn't there to protect you. And we're going to go over some steps on things and what you can do to make sure that he who is in you is going to continue to be stronger and greater than he who is in this world. And so the very first thing that Paul talks about and when he's dealing with this, he says that we should die to ourselves, first of all. That we ought to not only kill the sin, but basically what we need to do is not only put it to death, but we need to put ourselves to death, our spirit, our flesh, not our spirit, but our flesh. And to die to self is, is, uh, is, is, is very much to put our pride and our ego in check. Because a lot of times the reason we get mad, we get upset, is because somebody has disrespected me. When somebody disrespects me, then my pride shoots up and I lash out with words or whatever in anger and things that that are unholy. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, it just seems to happen that way. This is why when Jesus said, look, if you're going to follow me in Luke 9, 23, he says, and he said to them all, if anyone would come to after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
Now the people of, that, of those days, they knew what the cross was. They knew that the cross was uncompromising. They knew that the cross was suffering. They knew that the cross had nothing, would take nothing. You couldn't barter with it. You couldn't beg it. You couldn't leave it alone. You, you couldn't. The cross needed your life. And the cross demanded your life. And the cross was not one that you would play around with. It was not something that you would hang around your neck, in your, in your, on your rear view mirror, put it on your wall. The cross always, always stood for death. And Jesus says, look, you want to follow me? You got to put yourself to, de- to death. You got to pick up your cross daily. Not just once and die, but you have to do this every single day. He says, as a matter of fact, Jesus, uh, Paul said, I protest, brothers, my, be my pride, by my, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I die every day. Every day. And so this is why he wrote again to the Romans in Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. So number one, what do we do? Number one, we got to look at these, uh, the sins. Let's look at the sins of perverted love, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. These are personal sins related to our feelings. And so number one, the, we look at the sins of our, our, our personal sins, our personal sins, sexual immorality. Oh, very good. You're gonna, you're gonna fill these in yourself then. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's good. Sexual immorality. Se- sexual immorality, I guess we can just say, okay, we know what that is, is just, you know, stuff that's not right. But you know, when it's translated in from the Hebrew, it's translated from the word pornia, and, and it refers to sexual sin. Our English word, we get, uh, pornography, porno, pornia, and grafe, which is writings, or the writings of sex. And pornography is very prevalent in today's culture, and it just seems to be everywhere. It used to be only in, in hidden magazines that you couldn't buy unless you were a certain age behind the counter. Now any child can open up their phone, their webs, their computers, and they can see all the pornography that they want to see. You know what? You don't even have to go that far. All you have to do is drive down the road and you can look at it on the billboards. You can see it in commercials. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's inundated us. And sexual immorality has seemed to have really just infiltrated our culture to where now they're teaching children that you don't have to be a boy. You don't have to be a girl to have sex. All you have to do is just whatever you feel like. If you feel like you're a girl, then you can have sex with the boy. And if you feel like you're a boy, you can have sex and so on and so forth. And, and, and they're teaching children this in schools nowadays. What business is it of the schools to teach our children about sex? You know, regardless of what type of style that they live. You know, what's really been blowing a lot of people's minds is these drag queens that come to schools to have drag queen reading hour where these men in beards and hairy chests come dressed as women and makeup and and they're they're reading to kids what's wrong with that why can't i read the kids you know it's really not the kids it's the kids that we're really concerned about why do you need to do that why must you do that what is wrong with you not what is wrong with and they throw it back on me what is wrong with you? You know, this is innocent. My question is always, why? 
sexual immorality has just gone rampant and it's getting worse. It's getting worse and it doesn't stop. And all it needs is just a little bit. It's just a little bit. As a matter of fact, when, when the sexual immorality, and we'll talk about this in just a little bit, changed the culture of the time. It was rampant everywhere. And when Christianity came in, the very first thing that the Christians started to do was to abstain from sexual immorality. When the Christians became Christians, they were mostly Jewish. They were, the whole process was a Jewish culture. It came out of the Jewish tradition, and so they were preaching and teaching all the Jews that Jesus Christ, which was a Jew, was the Messiah. Messiah meaning the anointed one, or in Greek, Christos, or the Christ. And so Jesus was the Messiah, and, and because he's Messiah, he's for the Jews. But you know, as it moved on, the movement moved on into the rest of the world. Gentiles were now coming on board. And remember, this is what we've been talking about in the book of Colossians. And they kept saying, well, in order for you to be a Christian, you have to adopt our traditions, our customs, our laws. Everything that we have, you have to be circumcised. You have to observe the Sabbath. You have to observe the holy days. And, and so the people got together and said, well, they're not Jewish. You know, and all the elders were getting together. What do we do? I mean, how, how do we stop this? And so they, they held a council and they said this. And I've shared this with you before. In Acts chapter 15, verse 20, he says, here's what we should do. Here's write to them and tell them to do this, to abstain from things polluted by idols. Okay, that's just a given. Everybody should just, not only just the Jewish people, but everybody should abstain from things that are polluted by idols. And you should also abstain from sexual immorality. Stay away from that. And also from the, uh, from what's been strangled, any, any cow or, or goat or any animal that's been strangled, and the way it was done, it was usually bled out. You gotta get the lifeblood out of it. But sometimes, you know, they wouldn't do that. They would strangle them and eat it with the blood inside. It was part of a, a, a sacrificial ritual that they did in some sorts of worships to other gods. And also, you know what? Don't drink blood. Bottom line. Don't, just don't drink it. So you have these four things out of all the laws that the Jewish people had. This is, these are four things that I want you guys to focus on. And as the Christians, as the Gentiles became Christians, they took that to heart. See, to them, it, w- it was nothing to have a wife and a, and a concubine and a mistress and, and a slave girl and a prostitute at the temple for, for, for worship. It was, it was nothing to them. Boys and girls and the, the, the Senate, the Greek, the Roman Senate were called boy lovers. And it was nothing to them to have this kind of, you know, this kind of relationship. It was kind of like what you have going on today or where it's getting to. But when the people became Christians and they realized we got to abstain from sexual immorality, it was really a shock for the rest of the culture. And people says, wow. And they would commend them because all these different things that started to come to place now and the marriages were starting to build up. This is why husbands were to, to be heads of their households and wives were to be submissive to their husbands because now it's a whole different uh, structure the way God had instituted it. And so sexual immorality to the people back then, it was like, a wow, it's a badge of honor. That was the indicator that you were genuinely redeemed. Well, what about my mistress? You know what? You got to leave her behind. All those things that you've been forgiven. That's not of God. And so it, sexual immorality was one of the things. And this is why when Paul was talking to the people in Corinth, 
He had heard that there was a man in their midst. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife in church. And Paul was upset at the fact that this sexual immorality was going on, but he was really more concerned about the people not saying anything. And you're proud? And you guys are, oh yeah, way to go, guy. You know, it's like, what, what is, what's going on there? Sexual immorality has always been part of the Christian world. Sexual immorality was always something that was, was, was to be abstained from. In Ephesians 5.3, Paul even says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, covet, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. To the people in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be sanctified. And he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. So sexual immorality is sexual activities outside of marriage. Impurity. Impurity, Paul says. And it, it translates the words akarsia. A cartharsia, that's what it is, a cartharsia, because catharsis is to clean, is to have something clean. A catharsis is the opposite of. If it's not clean, it's unclean or unholy. And, and, and he says, sex, impurity, sexual thoughts outside of marriage. So we're talking about the, the, the actual act, and then we're talking about the, the actual thinking of it. The process that goes through your mind, as what Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. It's what goes on in the mind. It's what goes on in your thought process. It what goes on when you see something. And you know, beloved, this is exactly what all these billboards and signs and commercials and everything is meant to do. To cause you to commit that lust. And once somebody asks me, so what's the difference? You know, I mean, what's the difference if I think about it or if I do it? I already thought about it. I might as well do it. And I says, well, you're right. It's, it's basically the same thing with the only exception is, you know what? The, the consequences are different. You see, when I, when I have thought, uh, lustful thoughts, then my consequences, you know, I just feel dirty. I feel ugly. I feel, oh man, I can't, I can't even believe I even got involved in that thought. But if I commit adultery, what that does, it has consequences that are beyond, you know, what I could ever think of. I lose my family. I lose my wife. I lose my marriage. I lose my job or whatever the case may be. And there's other things that happen. Child, you know, sexually transmitted diseases, you name it. I mean, it just causes all kinds of, it's, it's still the same. It's a sin, but the consequences are different. And Jesus says, don't do it. Don't fill your mind with everything else that this world is leading you to believe. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, from within, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. We're going to talk about that. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Mark 7, 21, 22. And what Jesus is saying, that's what's coming out from inside. And this is the evil desires, those things that are within you. And those things that, that seem to want to take their, uh, the, the impurity, the impure thought, not thinking clean, thinking impure. 
As a matter of fact, sexual immorality and purity go hand in hand. It's the passion and desires and evil desires that move us forward. That's the next one. Passion is the physical act and evil desires is the mental act. Once again, physical acts and mental acts. And, and I said earlier that it was said of Christianity that it brought about a new lifestyle. Chastity, abstinence, celibacy, virginity, self-denial, self-restraint was the one completely new virtue which Christians brought into the world. In the ancient world, sexual relations before marriage and outside of marriage were the normal and accepted practice. The sexual appetite was regarded as a thing to be gratified, not to be controlled. In other words, you have this, you're naturally born with this desire and so you just let it happen because again, remember, Gnostic thinking, the mat, the flesh is matter and it doesn't matter what you do with the flesh as long as your mind is being elevated. And so eat, drink, have sex, whatever the case may be, and just do whatever you want because it is the spirit that really matters. And this is why Paul says, no, 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 you put to death that flesh, put it to death, all those things. And, and, and here's and here's the reason why, you know, for this reason. Well, you know what? Let me go over covetedness first of all. Covetedness, which is idolatry, uh, which which is a desire to have more. Covetedness is the desire to have more, and it's the last commandment in the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's thy neighbor's uh, manservant, ox, everything that belongs to your neighbor. Do not want it. And coveting is more than just wanting it. Covenant is more than just jealousy. Covetedness, it, it, it's, it's such a word that it's kind of hard to explain. It has to be written out. It was written out in two different words. It's pleon and exo, pleonexios. And, and, and these two words, what they do is they come together and they, they, uh, show that, you know, I want pleno, which I want or I must have or I gotta have it or exto to have. Must have, must have, must have is the mindset of a person that they will do whatever it takes to get what it is that they want. James talks about this desire and you, he says in James chapter four, verse two, you desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. But instead, you are coveting, you're asking, you're not asking, but you're, you're wanting, you're desiring. And when you want something to take the place of what you, what you really need, because what you really need is God. Every individual has a God-shaped hole in their life, and they need God. God is what you need. God is what this world needs. And when I say, no, no, I want this or I want that, I will be satisfied when I have that car or that house or that woman or that man or whatever the case may be. You have placed those things as idols. You've placed those things as the one thing that is to be dominant in your life. And you strive. And James says, you kill, you murder and and you fight and you argue because you cannot have it. And you do everything to get it. And you know, it's, it's described, the Greeks described it as this insatiable. In other words, you, you can't, you can't fill it. It's like having, and they said this, it's like having a bowl with the hole in it and trying to fill it with water. It cannot happen because the more you put into it, the more you want and the more you want and the more you want. And covetedness is willing to do whatever it takes. 
If you're coveting money, you'll do all kinds of illegal activity to get money. If you're coveting power, you'll do all kinds of shenanigans and and things to, to be able to just get ahead, climb the corporate ladder. You're climbing the ladder, your neighbor's climbing the ladder, you just kick his ladder over, you know, because you want to be first. If you're coveting another person, you will have affairs and sexual immorality, and it all leads to covetedness is idolatry. Always has been. Idolatry. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetedness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And the interesting thing is that Paul is not talking to the world. He's talking to the church right here in Ephesus. In this chapter, in this verse that we're reading, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church in Coloss. He's talking to the church, the, the, the tri-cities of these churches. He says, these are the things you guys got to stay away from. You know, don't be letting it infiltrate your life. And the Old Testament was the same way. It was, and there was sexual immorality and idolatry and people worshiping pagan deities because of these sex orgies that they believed that they would have with, with, uh, with prostitutes in these temples. And, and a lot of the Israelites were saying, well, well, yeah, that looks a lot more fun than worshiping one God. Can I have like five or six? Yeah, I have as many as you want. Come on. And in Numbers chapter 25, he says this. Moses says the verses 1 to 3. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal and Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. When we are committing covetedness, idolatry, we are whoring after those things that God says, stay away from. And and it becomes such a, a, a desire that you can't even fill it because the more you want and the more you get, the more you want and the more you get and the more you want because it wasn't enough. And you get and you want and you get. And the Israelites were... Yeah. A content person would not desire to violate another person sexually. A content person would not desire to own another person's property. A content person will not want any harm to their neighbor. The antidote for covetedness is contentment. You know, Lord, I'm satisfied. I'm good. You know, they have... And they don't, and many people, you know, they, they, they've won the lottery or whatever the case may be. They've got so much, Lord, and you've blessed them. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with my, my wife and my kids and my, my, my job, and that's all I want. You know, Lord, if you're going to bless me with more, then great. But right now, Lord, I am content. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he says, whether I have a lot, I've had all kinds of stuff. I had titles and 
positions and all kinds of things. And I've also been brought down low. Paul says, you know, but I am content in all things because God has blessed me with what I have. Contentment is the opposite of covetedness. For covetedness, greedy people worship themselves, but a content person worships God. You see, when you want something, it's because you want to, you're worshiping yourself. You want to give it to yourself. But see, a content person wants to give it to God. Lord, all I have is yours. And I'm going to hold it like this. See, but a coveted person holds it like this. And they want more. And it hurts when God has to rip it out of your hands. You worship God more by contentment. This, is, this was written by uh, a scholar, an old scholar named Jer- Jeremiah Burroughs. You worship God more by contentment than when you come to hear a, a sermon or spend half an hour or an hour in prayer or when you come to receive a sacrament of the Lord's Supper. These are acts of God's worship, but they are only external acts of worship. And you do this externally to hear and to pray and to receive the Lord's Supper. But contentment is the soul's worship. To subject itself thus to God in active obedience, we worship God by doing what pleases God. But by passive obedience, we do as well worship God by being pleased with what God does. When contentment is in your heart, that's how you worship God. Not by the songs that we sing, not by the messages that you hear, not by the the Lord's Supper or the baptisms. Those are all part of worship. Those are external parts of worship, but an internal part of worship is your contentment. So Paul says, basically, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. He says, put it to death. In other words, he says, you know, we Christians must kill self-centeredness regardless as and regard it as dead in all private matters. Kill what I want. Kill what I desire. Kill what the flesh is desiring and going after. Everything must be fully obedient to God. Why? You might ask. Well, I'm glad you asked. Number two, why should we put sin to death? Well, first of all, sin brings God's judgment. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, Paul says in verse 6. The wrath of God is coming on account of these things. And it's interesting because he's going to give us another list of things that we need to stay away from. But right in the middle, he inserts this. You need to stay away from this stuff because God's wrath is on its way. God's wrath is coming. God's wrath, his eternal destination of all unrighteousness. It is the displeasure and indignation of divine equity against evil. It is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. Arthur Pink, the author of Attributes of God. Wrath is God's constant, invariable reaction to sin. And when people sin, we were talking about this yesterday. You know, I just tell people I see them in sin. And I say, you know what? What do I do? I just, should we just tell them, you know, Jesus loves you? Jesus loves you? You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, you know, when people are dressed in the way they want to dress and doing the sin and all this immorality and everything that they're doing and, and, and they don't want to, you know, they, they, they don't want to hear about Jesus. What, what do I do? Do I just tell them, you know what? It doesn't matter because Jesus loves you anyways. Do you do that? You know, because when you do something like that to somebody, you're basically saying, you know what? You're okay. And they'll probably respond, well, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. 
I know God loves me. He loves me just, he made me this way. I was designed this way. He created me this way. And many people have just enough Christianity, enough Bible to be able to respond in that sense. I know God. I know who He is. I know Jesus Christ. I know, I know what He's done. But, but God hates sin. And again, I've said before, you've heard it said, hate the sin but love the sinner. It's the sinner that is being sent to hell, right along with the sin. God's wrath is coming in first, in Romans chapter one, in your outlines. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And you give them the truth and all they want to do is suppress it. I don't want to hear it. You know what? That's your truth. My truth is different. John chapter 3, probably one of the verses that is overlooked often. John chapter 3 verse 16 is quoted more by anybody else. Well, God loves the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. I believe in Him, therefore I'm not going to perish. I'm going to have eternal life because that's what John 3.16 says. As a matter of fact, John 17 says, for, G- for Jesus didn't come into the world, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. What are you doing condemning me? God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There I am. I'm, I'm on my way to heaven. Leave me alone. Who are you to condemn me? I believe I have eternal life. And they stop there. 16 and 17, and maybe even 18 and 19. But, but you know what? Unless you read the whole... Unless you read the whole chapter from beginning to end, first of all, you must be born again. <laughs> you got to be totally different. And you know what verse 36 says? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You're right. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. You know, as a matter of fact, it didn't say whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe, it didn't say that. Because everybody believes, even the demons believe. Oh yeah, you believe? Yeah, okay. Well, here's 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 the part that you need to understand. You got to obey the son. I, what, what you know? What's he what's he want me to do? Well, you got, here's here's some of the things: abstain from sexual immorality. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. He loves me, you know. Then you start going down the list, and then, then you start to realize, you know what? I don't know. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You can't pick and choose, beloved. This is why we go through the books through one. Romans chapter 2, verse 8. This is not in your outlines. But uh, Romans 2, 8 says, But for those who are self-seeking, in other words, seeking of themselves, idol, making idols for themselves, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. But I thought God was a loving God. He is a loving God. That he was just and merciful and gracious. He is just and merciful and gracious. But if you're not going to do what he says, that's you. <laughs> this is where you fall in. You know, there's two categories. There's this, this category right here, and then this other category way over here, where everybody is at. And there's a little category over here. That's where those that believe and obey the Son. Those that believe, say they believe and don't obey the Son, you go over here. It's called the wide road, the narrow gate. That's what it's called. 
Romans 2.5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You know what, beloved? This is, this is the sad reality of the truth. You are storing it up. Your heart is hard. And the more you say no, you're storing it up and storing it up. And the more you store it up, the harder your heart gets. And as much as you try, and beloved, the only thing that's going to change that person is the Word of God. And you pray for them, and you bow on their knees, your knees to them, and you pray for them as you're bowing, and you, you lift them up in prayer. Because they're storing up wrath. He tell the people in, first, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because you have committed your life to Christ, because He saved you, because you are His, on the day when He returns, He's going to take His church. And the wrath that is coming, you won't experience it. And many people that you can think of right now, that you're probably even thinking about as I'm saying this, you're wondering, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? Well, you pray for them. You continue to pray for them. You talk to them. One of two things happens. Either they repent or they run away. And they'll blame you for it. They'll blame you for them running away. (laughs) You know, and all you're doing is giving them the truth. not Not only that, but sin is part of our past. Okay, sin is part of our past. Sin brings judgment of God and sin is part of our past. The rest of verse 7 says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And some of these things you're thinking, you know, I've I done that, I've done that, jeez. You know, I, I got 10 out of 10. <laughs> what about me? Well, you know, you, you used to do that. Paul says, I, I know that, God knows that. You were dead. You used to. You once walked that way. Walked, remember, perpetia. Not, not the way you actually walk, but your lifestyle. And in the direction and where you were going. We talk about this all the time. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, one of my favorite verses, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. You had no way of communicating with God. A dead person does not communicate with anybody. Spiritually dead people do not communicate with God. I don't care what they say or what they think that they can, they don't. See, you follow, you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, what a beautiful word, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. I didn't make myself alive. He made me alive. I didn't ask Him to make me alive. He made me alive. I couldn't raise my hand and come forward. I couldn't beg for mercy. I couldn't. He made me alive. He made me alive together with Christ by grace. Grace is not something you deserve. Grace, by its definition, is not deserved. I didn't do anything for it. I couldn't do anything for it. 
by grace you have been saved. You have been saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 then. This is why we should, we should be like new creations. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so, you know, I mean, yes, we sin. And yes, we fall. And yes, God has grace and mercy. He's forgiven all my sins. And every time that I sin, His grace abounds. And when I, when I sin more, His grace is even more. And Paul is kind of having this argument with himself, with the people in Rome. He says, you know, if I sin, God's grace is there to protect me and, and cover that. And if I sin again, he gives me more grace and more grace. And then he asks the question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound even more? By no means. How can you die to sin and still live? See, the thought was, I guess, in, in people in Rome, well, you know, if, if I sin, God's grace abounds. And if I sin more, he gives me more grace. And so maybe I should just keep sinning so he can keep giving me grace. No, that's not the way it works. You're dead to sin. You are to die to sin. You are to put to death your sin. You need to put to death, number three, your deaths, the public sins. I call them publics. They're really more social sins than they are public. Uh, here, let me just go over these with you very quickly. Uh, and this is the second list that Paul is kind of showing us. When we talk about uh, anger and wrath, anger and wrath. Oh boy, I don't know what happened here. Put to death public sins, okay? Anger and wrath. Anger, first of all, th there's two words for anger, okay? Orje is uh, one word, which, you know, is a deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. And uh, thumas, which is like a flash in a pan, just psh, just all of a sudden, just boom. I get upset and I say, all right, that's enough. Okay. They can be, they can be kind of equated like, um, like orge is, is the, the smoldering embers of a log and how it just continues to warm and, and it heats up and, and, and if, and if you put straw on it, the straw goes and, and just burns up. That's tumas. Orge and tumas are two different words for anger. And what, what the, the, the word that Paul is using here is the word orge. Do not be angry. Don't let it smolder. Don't let it settle in your heart. Don't let it just continue on and continue on and continue on. You, you know, there's, there's people that are very passive aggressive that, that they let this stuff just linger and linger and linger until finally, kaboom! You know, three months ago. What? You, you, you said this and you did that and you went over here and three months ago. And, where were we at? You know, who were you talking? What happened? You know, beloved, if there's something that's bothering you, just talk about it. Deal with it right there and then. Just deal with it. Because you don't want it to smolder. That causes more damage than anything else. Be honest. Stop lying. It's going to be part of the, what we're talking about here. You know, as a matter of fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Anger and wrath, closely related. They're closely related. Anger, there you go. There's the answers. In, in, as a matter of fact, Jesus, when he said, you know, I say to you that everyone who is angry, orge, with his brother, you know, smoldering, will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Don't let it smolder. Get rid of it. 
malice. Another word, you know, malice is just another way of saying, you know, you want this vicious harm on other people. You want, you want, you want them to be hurt. You, you, you try to you finagle and do things, you know, it's that, it's that passive aggressiveness. You do things behind the scenes to hurt the other person. Oh, I'm sorry. But it, malice is even harder than that. It's harsher than that. You, you really want some kind of vicious vindication, vindication for what they've said or done. And, and Paul says, get rid of that malice. And then slander. Slander comes from the word blasphemia, where we get our word blasphemy. There's another word for slander as well in Greek. It's diabolos, which is where we get the word diablo or, or Satan. And, uh, Satan is a slanderer. He is. It, but, here, here, the word that Paul is using is the word that we blaspheme. You know, if you, when, it's bla- when it's used against God, we, we blaspheme God. But when it's used against people, it's translated into slander, where you're basically, uh, you're, you're slandering people. You're treating men and women with foolish talk, with all kinds of indignation, just talking to them and talking about them, basically, just so they can, you can hurt the reputation and cause not only pain upon them, but on their family and everyone else around them. And these people are walking around not even knowing what's going on because you are talking behind their back. You're slandering them. And beloved, it's just not Christian. It's not what you do as a church. We don't do that. You know, we, hey brother, how you doing? Oh, very good. Hey, did you hear about this brother over here? James says in James chapter 3, for the same, from the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Brother, that not ought to be so. Ephesians 5.4, therefore, there is, let there no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Thank you. I, I, you know, I thank God for your participation. I was genuinely blessed last night on how everybody just congregated in the kitchen. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? <laughs> how can we help? How can we, here, come here. You can help by here. You can help by sitting down. <laughs> Sit down. I want an apron. I want to help. No, go away. Because <laughs> we love you guys. You, you know, it, thank you. Thank you. The good, per- Matthew 12, 35 says, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Whatever comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. And again, Matthew 12, 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That should be sobering enough. That should be sobering enough. And and lying, you know, don't lie to one another. Did you know that if you're Mexican, you speak Spanish? Well, you know, if you're from Mexico, you speak Spanish. If you're German, you'll speak German. If you're American, more likely you'll speak English. If you're Chinese, you know, you, you get what I'm saying? But did you know that when you speak lies, that's uh, Satan's language. Satan has no other thing to do but lie. That's all he does. As a matter of fact, John 8, says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. When you lie, you speak Satan's language. 
Bottom line. Not God. God doesn't lie. God never lies. In Hebrew, he says it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. He can't. And so these are the sins, the personal sins and the public sins, or those that are sociably that you do against others, and those that you do against yourself, the body. And these are the sins that Paul is saying, put these things to death. And he only named four, you know, which there are a lot more, but this is enough to work on, at least for this lifetime, amen, (laughs) for some of us. So how do you put these to death? Well, first of all, flee. Flee from sin. Just run away from it. Stop feeding it. Stop craving it. Stop, you know, do not feed the anger or resentment. A lot of times we just play it over and over and over in our mind. Don't don't cater to sexual lust or covetedness. If you know you have an issue with that, just turn off your computer. You know, turn off, shut your phone down. Block it. Oh, beloved, I, I... I cannot tell you how many times these things come up on my computer. And literally, I have to just block it or stop it or change it. What you see on a computer, believe this or not, I, you know, this is what I know. What you see on a computer, especially those that have cameras and your phones and most computers have cameras, they trace your eyes. And the computer is showing the program that you're watching what you are looking at. And when you see that, whether it's a car, whether it's fishing, whether it's, well, you know, let your imagination go wild, then the computer starts to send things to you. Now, you may not have ever clicked on any of those clickbaits, but if they, if, if they're coming to you, more than likely, they are watching your eye. And they send you according to what you're looking at. And, and we wonder, how is this happening? How does it happen? Stop looking. Swipe the page. Get rid of it as soon as you can. Flee. Paul says to the first Corinthians chapter 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a sin person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Again, in first Corinthians 10, therefore, but my beloved, flee. Stop feeding it. Stop looking at it. Stop wondering about it. Just flee. Get away from it. You know, if you resist the devil, he will flee. He can't bother you if you're resisting him. Number two, focus your mind on Christ. Seek and set. Seek. Paul's already told us this. He said this in, in verses 1 and 2 of Colossians chapter 3. Seek the things that are above. We talked about this last week. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Seek first the kingdom of God. Remember that? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. We have to fill our mind with the word of God. I'm really excited and really just proud of how uh, those of you that are in the class are doing your best to memorize scripture. And I'm going to keep on you. I'm going to keep on you because that is what's going to help you to seek the Word of God. Because if you're focusing all day long on memorizing one verse, well, great, even though you didn't memorize it, at least you got your mind focused on the Word of God, okay? (laughs) So if you memorize it, fantastic. But if you don't, at least I know that you've got your mind focused on the Word of God, okay? 
And you can't help but memorize it after reading it, you know, a thousand times. And that you will. Because we focus our mind on a lot of other things. Paul says this to the people in Philippi. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Set your mind on these things. Think about these things. Seek these things. Later on, we'll see in Colossians chapter 3, we read it a little while ago, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the Holy Spirit, by the way. Let the word, which is the word, which is the Holy Spirit's word of Christ dwelling you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. How am I going to be able to share what I know if I don't know what it is that I need to share? You learn God's word so that you can share it with somebody else. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. These are the steps, very simple steps. Just stop feeding it. And start seeking. Flee from it and focus. Flee from sin, focus on the Word. And if, if you're not memorizing Scripture, then, then do something, an exercise that you're mentally challenging yourself to read God's Word. And, and I, again, I, I keep getting reviews and people saying, you know, we're reading this part of the Bible. Well, great, because you're focusing your mind on the Word of God. Sometimes I don't understand what it says. It's okay. I forget. I forget what I read. I read all this yesterday, and I forget what I read. Well, do you remember what you had for breakfast yesterday? Uh, you know, it takes some people a long time. What'd you have for lunch? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, doesn't matter, does it? It was good for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good for me. Okay, that's why you ate it. It doesn't matter if you remember what you ate. Chorizo. <laughs> yeah, I think that that was just too easy of a question. <laughs> what did you have for What did you have for lunch three weeks ago on Tuesday? Yeah, <laughs> something with something good, right? It had to be good. It had to be good. That's what I'm saying. God's word is the same way. Okay, you may not remember it all, but it was good for you that day. Amen. Let me ask you to stand. So we're gonna focus on God's word. We're gonna go through these classes, and we're gonna go through the Bible, and we're gonna go through memorization. Don't worry about it if you can't memorize it now. You know, maybe you might want to have to take the class, you know, two or three times like some people that I know. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. I mean, you know, I've had to do that before as well. Oh, I, I flunked classes that I had to go. I got to go back and do that again. You know? One at a time. Yes, exactly. We're going to go through this together. Amen. Father, thank you once again for just the amazing promise that you give us that we can put this sin to death. These sins that Paul just discussed and are disgusting. And what's really disgusting, Lord, is some of those are, are sometimes come up in my life. And Father, I pray that you help me with my anger. And I pray that you help me with these, these thoughts. And, and I pray that you help me with, with all these things, Lord, that are, seem to be going on in, in all our lives. Just, just give us the, a clear direction, Father, as you already have. And, and more than that, the desire to know your word to memorize your word, to live in your word. Father, we can rid ourselves of this sin. So Father, thank you again for the, just the promise that if we flee and we focus, that we can continue to put this sin to death. Dismiss us now, Father, from this place.
and ever from your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. All right. Go enjoy your day.